Welcome to the Engage and Empower podcast. Behind every successful company is an intentional and innovative approach to empowering your most valuable asset, your people. Join me in having conversations with people and talent leaders as we share our journeys and unpack what it takes to build strong, cohesive teams and employee experiences. From executives at early stage startups to innovators at large public companies, we'll capture the compelling stories of the people behind People Teams. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to the Engage and Empower podcast. I'm your host, Resika Rajagopalan, and today I'm really looking forward to today's chat with the head of diversity, equity, and belonging at Chime, Erica Johnson. Erica has a really cool blend of experiences, both on the broader people and talent side, as well as, of course, on the diversity, equity, and belonging side. So, so excited to dig into all of that. Erica, thank you so much for being with us here today. Thanks, Jessica. How are you? How are you doing on this rainy day? <laughs> I am doing great. I am lucky to be staying dry and not commuting in the rain. But yes, uh, it's yeah, in San Francisco. yes, great to meet you. Great. To, so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Excited for the conversation. Of course. Yes. And thank you for making time for the show. I'm really eager to hear all about your story and everything you've been up to lately. If you wouldn't mind getting us started by giving listeners just a quick background and intro on you and on Chime, that would be great. Great. So I've been in HR for probably almost 15 years now. I started off doing HR for attorneys, immigration attorneys, which is actually great boot camp in process and, you know, legalese and all that kind of good stuff. And then moved on into a tech and I've been doing people work in tech. My previous company, Nitro, recently, I think it was in end of 2019, went public on the Australian Securities Exchange. And then I found myself here at Chime, heading up diversity equity learning here. And I've done some of this work previously, obviously as a head of people, um, but this really gives me a, a chance to be really focused on it, something I'm very passionate about. Um, and Chime is a great culture. Chime is a fintech company. They provide banking services for our members to create really financial peace of mind for them and really help them get a good handle on, on banking, which is they do that through a credit builder card or spot me program. A lot of great stuff there. A really mission-driven company looking to impact change in the world. And so I'm excited to be doing work, especially in, in this company and with this group of folks. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a great time to be you know, pivoting into this field more formally, although you've had this experience throughout your career. One of the things I want to talk a little bit about is the evolution of even the language in the diversity space. I know right before, you know, fast forward I, or go back, you know, five, 10 years here, diversity and inclusion. And now, you know, there are even more terms in the titles that individuals hold in uh, the language that's used internally. You see diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging, all really distinct facets of one another. So for those that are unfamiliar about the key differences between diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, can you actually share what the differences are between those facets and then how you respectively address them at Chime? Sure, absolutely. Happy to run you through it. So let's say diversity and inclusion, I think were, you know, first basic ones. And I think that they were great for the time, but you just talked about this language actually matters. So diversity is the, you know, what do we want? We want different 
voices in the room. We want different perspectives, different experiences, different backgrounds. And that's really important for a company to be creative, innovative, to impact change, right? So diversity there, check. And then inclusion is really that, how do you make all of those identities, experiences, backgrounds feel welcome? And you do that through processes, communication, a lot of other things that are, that are kind of fall under that inclusion background or the inclusion piece. So those two, check. Those are great. Then we started to evolve and realize that we needed more than that. And more than that looks like, one, equity, which is also included in my title now, this sort of need to make sure that not only are our comms and our people feeling welcome, which is that inclusion piece, how do you make all of those identities feel welcome, but how do you create a sense of equitable or equality and all of that in your processes, in what you're doing, in how your company functions? And you'll understand that those different identities have different challenges in the world, right? So how do you make sure that you're addressing that and what you're doing? And then you get to the belonging piece, which kind of takes that inclusion to the next step, which is not only are you welcome here, you're accepted here. You belong here. You are wanted here. So not just welcome, not just you're in the room and you're welcome to listen and you're welcome to be in the space, but you're welcome to participate in the space and that your additions are very much needed and wanted here. So that includes, I think for time, it really looks for us. I've been working on what are our D, DEB pillars and what is what are what are our guiding principles under these things. And so for diversity, it means that we are looking at a diverse perspective, identity, experience at all levels in every department as much as we can. And that's obviously, you know, there's a path to that because sometimes that's not happening, but that's what we're striving for. That's what we're looking for. From the equity standpoint, it's what are we doing to make sure that not only is everything fair in how we're processing things and how we're setting up our goals, our structures, our business structure, all of that kind of stuff. But what are we doing to make sure that there's opportunity for everyone? You know, things, fairness is one thing. Opportunity is another piece of that because opportunity looks different to different identities. People, certain opportunities are not easily available. So how are we doing that? And then for the belonging piece, you know, is everyone seen and heard? Do you, does your voice matter here? Do you feel like your voice matters here? These are all like ideal principles that I would say Charm does a very good job of right now, but we can be doing an even better job. And that is my role here. And obviously the role of leaders is for us to be striving to have that at, at the, you know, ultimate end. That's our end goal, that that is what we have across the board. Everywhere in Charm, every facet of Charm. Yeah, no, that's super helpful. I mean, I think the equity space in particular is a new challenge for, you know, folks across the company and really grappling and understanding what that actually means. That distinction that you called out between equality and opportunity is really interesting. Could you say a little bit more about how specifically you build equity in your processes or how you bring equity to the types of opportunities that you're giving employees because it's, it's a nuanced concept that's really hard to understand and hard to implement, I think, in the workplace. Well, yeah, I think, you know, obviously, depending on where you're hiring from, and this, again, goes back to the diversity piece, right? If you're bringing in more diverse backgrounds and more diverse experiences, not everyone has had the same training, you know, not the same, haven't been in the same rooms, been privy to the same conversations. 
And so when we're talking about developing people at time, when we're talking about paying people at time, when we're talking about their input in the business, we, we have to make sure that we're taking that into account, that some people haven't been developed in the same way. And so how do we kind of, I don't want to say necessarily close that gap, but make sure that we're taking that into consideration. We're taking those strengths into consideration and things for improvement. And where can we as a company help to give them more voice, help them to possibly be developed? That might be necessary. But, and how, how do we put them or give them exposure? You know, I think about it, you know, when I, through my time as, as a Black woman, right? It was what, what was I exposed to versus maybe what other people were exposed to? You know, I grew up in not a very, I wouldn't say under, as an underrepresented group, you know, I was not very privileged in my upbringing. And so some of these terms, when I first started getting into tech, were really lost on me. And I didn't quite understand all of those things. And so obviously when I am negotiating salaries, when I'm negotiating, I don't know necessarily the full extent of what equity means or options means or things like that. Like, how are we making sure that those things are fair despite people's maybe what background? I'll think of that. You know what I mean? Like, what? how are we thinking about that at a higher level as to not everyone has been exposed to this. Not everyone has had the same opportunity. And so how do we close that gap? Yeah, I love that. I've seen mentorship be a great way that a lot of companies, you know, provide underrepresented groups access to both that enablement, but also you know, the ability to partner with folks that, that look like them, that, you know, come from similar identities as them. Like one of the things that's really challenging when you come into organization, feeling like there is this sense of equity or you do have the sense of belonging is not seeing leaders in the company or folks that have impact in the company that look like you, that come from backgrounds like you. And so what's your recommendation for smaller companies or maybe even also other bigger companies that don't have a ton of internal bandwidth or maybe even like internal diversity within the organization to support this idea of mentorship? Like how can we empower employees with strong mentors and connect individuals with others that can partner with them and really assist them in both growing in their career and also giving them their perspective as somebody that has kind of navigated this field? Yeah, I would say first, I don't want to let anyone off the hook and say, first, you need to be striving for diversity at all levels in your company. And that's just period. And I know that's harder for some than others. Obviously, a lot of times people are in those spots. If you are a very well-structured company, then hopefully it means that people aren't really, you know, leaving those spots. They are not rotating out of those spots. And that's fine. But it does mean that there are other opportunities, usually in other parts of leadership, as you continue to grow and develop as a company, and you should be filling those with diversity. So I like to say first, nothing beats seeing someone that looks like you or that has some level of experience as you in the leadership positions in a company. That can't be mentored away necessarily, or having a mentor in a company that looks like you. That's just what it is. So folks should be trying to do that. I think when you're smaller and you don't necessarily have that, or you've run into a situation where it's not so easy for you to diversify those viewpoints at this time. I think you definitely want to be encouraging your employees to find programs, find mentorship programs through other means. And I think a lot of that happens through like networking and a lot of organizations that support professional underrepresented groups. So that does mean, you know, 
I'm a part of quite a few DEI or DEB leader connection networking groups. And some are for Black women, which I really appreciate because I'm a Black woman doing this role. And there are women who have been doing this for longer than I've been doing it. And I can learn from them. And I also know that they see me in a similar way and can understand me in a way that maybe others can't. So I think that's important. And I would encourage leaders of those companies to make time for your employees and encourage them to do that. Encourage them to, you know, go to Lesbians Who Tech or whatever else, whatever networking group that they can find in order to connect with those that can help them feel more seen. And maybe even like sponsor a program where you're taking care of the fees for some of these professional organizations or something like that. But I think it's important for folks to have mentors to talk through some of the challenges that they're having that they're not quite comfortable talking with their manager about or getting developed on their manager because some of those experiences are very unique to their identity. Right. And it's really inspiring to see other people that have navigated this and, you know, having that opportunity to connect with them and talk to them. I mean, even just like, you know, being able to to step out of your own organization and have that fresh sort of perspective, that fresh conversation, I think can be really helpful. And I really appreciate you saying mentorship programs, employee resource groups, all these different things, they are not a band-aid for the fact that you do not have, you know, diversity and diverse perspectives within your organization. So that is absolute table stakes to really start with. And it starts with the top. One of the things that I noticed after George Floyd's murder was the really compelling note that your founder and uh, CEO, Chris Britt, sent out, the pledge he committed. I really do think these initiatives start and grow with your CEO. And so I'm curious about what your, your advice would be to folks that don't have a DEB leader yet, that are looking to get these initiatives off the ground at their respective companies. Maybe there are employees that are really interested in supporting their people team or whatever their their broader HR department. Like what's your advice to them and how they can support the company or, or work with other leaders internally and in starting these conversations and getting initiatives like this off the ground? Well, I think one, you know, I was excited to come and work with Chime. I had a really some really great conversations with Chris and appreciated a lot of his perspective. And I think that that is a major one. Like it is, you might not have a DEB leader, but even if you do have a DEB leader, it starts with the executive team and the CEO. It starts there. Like nothing is happening in a business without that. And let's just be clear and honest, like as much as DEB or DEI is very well, you know, taking off right now, or it's been taking off or it's making a new comeback, whatever the terminology people want to use around it, it is not popular everywhere. There are companies that do not want this, who do not wish to have it, who do not believe in it, all of those things. And if you're finding a CEO that doesn't believe in it or does not want to invest in it, then you are going to be stuck. So again, it needs to start there. It needs to start with the executive team. I think the other part is a DEB leader is not a, you know, I'd say people, I'm not a fairy godmother. I'm not here to wave a wand and make everything diverse and equitable for everyone here. It is a group effort. I am here to work from a consulting basis. I am here to bring perspective. I am here to guide, lead in some perspectives, not all, but lead. And that, that is what I bring to the table. However, I cannot change a business by myself. And so it definitely takes a group 
of folks at the top who care. So I would say they start there. Like they need to care, CEOs, COOs, you know, heads of people, heads of finance, heads of product, heads of engineering, they all have to care as well about this work. So I think one. Two, where do you start? You start by looking in the mirror. You start by looking at the numbers. You start by taking a good hard look what you have in place right now and what needs to change in order for you to get to where you want to be. So those numbers matter. Like we all like to, you know, get an idea. If you're trying to change something, you got to take an assessment of where you are. So where are you? Where's your diversity looking at right now? Look at your policies. Look at your procedures. Look at your engagement scores. What are they saying about you as a business? And what do you want them to be saying? And so, and then you can, you know, track a path to that or chart a path to that with connecting with everyone in that room, everyone in the executive room, all of the leaders, all the managers, all the recruiters, all of that, you know, like get the right folks in the room to how you're going to, you know, make a path to that goal of changing your diversity, changing your equity, changing your belonging inclusion. Right, right. I think I've heard before, you can't improve what you can't measure. I also think in the diversity space, you can't understand what you can't, it's such a, it's such a complex topic and you don't even really understand the dynamic of what's happening in your organization, especially today when we're not in an office, like from a diversity perspective, like digitally, you're not even really getting the same amount of cues. You're not having the same amount of interactions, like none of that's happening. So yeah, I think, I think the data piece and just even, like you said, reflecting, investing in, I mean, you don't even really need to invest to get some of that data. Like some of that just exists. Like if you have an HR system, you have an applicant tracking system, if you have a way to pull a compensation report, like these are all very, very basic things you can do without, you know, somebody in a full time, let's say role to get the ball rolling and then see, okay, where do I need support? And how can I leverage somebody that I, you know, bring in who can help us really get to the next level, which brings me to my next question. I think the, the role of, you know, head of diversity, equity, and belonging has really evolved, let's say even in the last like year or two, there's so much more complexity in this work. And I'm curious, what does the day-to-day look like for you? Who do you collaborate with? What initiatives do you lead? What are you currently working on? I'm really curious to kind of hear what a day in the life of Erica is. Yeah. Well, I guess from starting work, what am I working on? Well, I say, honestly, for me right now, I've been in this role of time for about three months. So it's still looking like a lot of learning for me right now. Um, but I think I've learned most people's names and departments and all these other type of good things. But it does look like me working with various parts of the business at all different times of the day, right? So a day for me might look like starting off a couple of meetings with the people leadership starting off the day meeting with the people leadership team, could end the day with meeting with some leads from the ERGs. So I'll try to be careful because we call them CRGs, time resource groups, but the employee resource groups, the leads of the employee resource groups are kind of, you know, my partners in this as well to help them feel supported, to make sure that we're driving the right outcomes there. So, and in between that, I could be meeting with marketing I could be meeting with our finance department, our legal department. Thing about this work is that it might roll up into HR, which I do think I read an article recently that said that they think that this part of the org at some point, probably the next two to three years, will become its own function. And I would probably agree with that. Right now, I think it makes sense because of how 
money people are involved in this work and how that relates to HR. But it ultimately, for now, I think works. It could grow past that because this is not just about the people and it's not just about the recruiting. Those are big parts of it, your people processes and your recruiting. But it's also, what does your marketing look like? What does your product look like? What, how are you affecting change through your vendors? Like all of these things need to be looked at. So in order for you to actually create the change that I think people want to see, it's why you will see that anytime folks are calling out the work that they are doing, you know, oh, we have this, we have these numbers, oh, we care about this underrepresented group, you're also held accountable to like, well, what does your company look like? Uh, Is your product match that? Does your marketing match that? Does your marketing say you care about this underrepresented group or have you completely forgot about them in that? So I think uh, I'm working with all parts of the org right now, obviously some more than others, you know, as we are continuing to set a path and strategy and goal, working a lot with the executive team, even more recently to work through what the strategy looks like and make sure we're all in agreement. But yes, it's all parts of the org that I'm working with. Yeah, I think it's a really fascinating point around like the fact that this role and this team is just so embedded that it almost goes, it does go beyond the people umbrella. And I think a lot of that is also driven by the fact that consumers are demanding so much more from the organizations that they support. I think the modern era of people and talent largely also developed because, hey, you know, businesses realize that it's to your advantage to invest in your people and whatever support their growth and development and their retention. But also because I think people were not really looking to support an organization that didn't treat their employees well, like you want to support a product that treats their internal staff well. And so similarly, on the diversity, equity and belonging front, there's a lot of external accountability. And I as a consumer have many choices for, you know, the a company that I go to for X and Y, that we live in a world where there's tons of competitors. And so I think that the fact that your team actually is a big part of driving that is is very true. And we're going to see more and more of that over time. I'm curious, like what types of questions do you answer or what types of projects do you drive with marketing or with product? Because this is also new and it, it must be really interesting. There must be some really interesting questions that you all kind of ponder together. Yeah, absolutely. I think, well, from the product side, I haven't really, really dug in with product just yet. There's obviously a lot to start with. And again, this has been three months in, but I think um, from a marketing standpoint, it is, are we connecting with the groups that we want to be connecting with? And I think, you know, Chime cares a lot about their members and our members are diverse in demographics and experience and background. And so how do we make sure that what we're doing from a marketing standpoint connects with all of those? Or that takes that in consideration when we're thinking about, you know, social media posts or a campaign or anything like that. Like how does that, you know, really look for us? And I think that's important. And again, because of the accountability piece, but I also think from a consumer standpoint, you're being held accountable. I also think from a connection standpoint, Like if you do want to have more customers, members, whatever it is, you want to reach as many people as possible. And that's just not going to be possible if you are very limited in who you're marketing to or how your marketing looks. I think that's the other piece because you quickly can tell a consumer, this is not for you, you know? 
this is this is for this person that looks like this and has this experience in life. You, I think people are really surprised by how quickly and easily you can do that if you're not considering that in how you're marketing to folks. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you do you think that eventually this team, I think right now your every team is kind of identifying or solving these problems in their own silos. Maybe product is thinking about this within product, marketing is thinking about this within marketing. And now you're able to come in and actually bring all of these sort of decentralized conversations together in one room. So it's a role with a lot of FaceTime. It's very strategic and it's very forward thinking. It goes far beyond the four walls of your company. And one of the the challenges with your role that I'd be curious to get your thoughts around is, you know, it's you're constantly measured in this industry, whether it's your internal sort of diversity numbers or how you're moving the needle through the customers that you're bringing in. But moving the needle is just so difficult at times. It's so nuanced at times. It's often dependent on systemic factors that are way outside of your control. So how do you manage that? Yeah, I think, look, you have to keep moving forward. I was just, not to bring another company into it, but I was just reviewing the numbers from Netflix and they had released their diversity numbers and released a lot of their thoughts on diversity, which was actually a really great piece that they did. And it talks to two of those things, which is one, about staying on path and staying focused on what the overarching goal is, which is to create change in how the company does things in order to embrace a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive environment, right? So they were doing that also by doing that in various parts of the business. So not necessarily, again, not just in the people function, but in the, what am I thinking, content that they decided to bring on board, like the people that they are actually partnering with in order to develop their content. It's in all those pieces. So I think, look, measuring is important. What I think people really, what happens is people get a lot of fatigue in this because there's a high expectation that if you are doing this work, you will immediately see the numbers that you want to see. Very similar to sales or marketing or things like that. I don't think that that happens in that way. I think you have to measure yourself on the changes that you are continuing to make in very small incremental pieces and be very happy about those incremental pieces and to keep building on that. Because what we are doing is breaking down hundreds of years of systematic structures that have been in place. And so you can very quickly say, oh, that's not working. It's not happening. Never mind. You know, we, I don't know why we did all that work and we've only, you know, increased our representation by 2% of this or whatever else. I think you can lose track of that. And that makes it difficult. It does. It's a bit, you know, the tenacity and the intention of this role, it's, very challenging at times because I too am like, we didn't, we haven't moved fast enough. We don't have this in place fast enough. But I think if you build, build that foundation, it will be there and you'll start to see those incremental changes over time. Now, again, these are not over a quarter, which is like how most companies operate. Like this is where we start the quarter. This is where we end the quarter. Um, a lot of times it's over the year. And I, the case of Netflix's number, it took released it over two years. So the timing will take, like the amount of time will take time. You know, the money you need to do this will go on. But you absolutely have to stay focused, have to believe in what you're doing and create the change necessary. Yeah, absolutely. So given that, you know, it, 
change takes time. It's very incremental. What does that look like in your role as far as how you communicate that progress or how you'd recommend other leaders communicate that progress? Is it through like the diversity reports that you create? Is it through survey data that you share back? Like how frequently do you share back that progress knowing that this kind of stuff does take time? And what's your recommendation on what to focus on in terms of what you're sharing back? Well, I think you, I mean, obviously the numbers, I want to say the numbers aren't important at all. Like you should be keeping track of the numbers. The numbers do matter in one sense. Like if we're talking about recruiting, like how are we, what does, while our hiring numbers might take some time to really get the percentage up, we've moved from, oh, you know, 5% to 6%. And depending on the size of the company, that could be a number of hires. What does our funnel look like? You know, what what does it look like? How many people are we interviewing? Those are numbers that are a bit more immediate. So it is finding where you can measure that change. Like if we have not, if we don't have a funnel, I mean, it's, it is a recruiting technical term, but a funnel is used all out through, throughout the business. If we aren't bringing in enough people to interview, then we're not going to be able to get, you know, the hires out on the other side. So looking at those numbers are important. Also, though, I think it is about the process and, you know, really making sure how many people are now involved in using this new process in which we are, you know, looking at bias interrupters or that we're looking at, you know, making sure we have a diverse panel, things like that. I'm just using hiring right now. But, you know, when we're when we're thinking about that, there are things you can be measuring as far as how is that process coming along as far as OKRs. These might be a bit softer, but. They're important to complete. Have we revamped our, you know, process around this? Have we, and obviously we've set goals for those things, and but those goals will take more than a quarter to reach. And I think I'm mostly concerned with folks who think that you can change the diversity of your business, which has been primarily, maybe especially in tech, has been primarily cisgendered, hetero, white male engineering team. You know, you might have that. Like you're not going to change that completely in a quarter. You're going to, it's going to take all year probably for you to even make those more incremental increases. There's a lot of that, but yes. Yeah. I think you make a really great point that, you know, at a company, when you're looking to drive your revenue one quarter, you're not just looking at your revenue and, and playing around with two or three different things to move that metric. You're probably looking at thousands of different numbers and thinking, okay, when I move this up or when I change this thing, how does that have this ripple effect or how does that create larger change over time? Similarly, in the diversity, equity, and belonging space, I'm hearing you you share that companies need to be really aware of like all of the different levers that go into ultimately moving the needle and really focusing on observing and you know, investing in those drivers rather than, okay, like let's pull a diversity report every quarter and see how we did through, you know, without really being curious and without really like looking at all of those different pieces. Well, because the, also the other piece of that, right, is if the foundation is there and this is where they all get into a big loop. If you don't have the belonging there or the equity there, then the diversity will not stay. You can, you can change that. You can bring on for more people of underrepresented groups in a quarter. Your, your percentage number could go up, you know, 1% during that time. Will that last over the next two to three quarters? That remains to be seen because at times you've brought that person on or these people on and you have not, you've not created, you're not welcomed them, accepted them. 
and you are not creating systems and processes that are equitable to them. And so very quickly, it becomes a toxic environment for them. And then they're one. There's a lot that you need to be worried about there. And I think that obviously the numbers are important, but there's more than just numbers here to look at. And I think people need to consider that. Yeah. I mean, it's just like a product. Like if you have a bad product and you invest in your sales team, you bring customers in, like who's going to, who's to say that they're going to stay? Like you need to invest in support. You need to invest in good onboard. You need to invest in uh, enablement, whatever, all of these different things to keep people there. And of course, you know, the more you create a product that is usable to more people, like the stronger your business is going to be, like you're going to see that in your bottom line. Um, So yeah, I, I love thinking about it that way. It, Chime existed pre-pandemic, like you have an office and, and all of that. Your CRGs may have developed in person. We're starting to see a lot of companies start remote. I myself work at a company that started in the pandemic and will be fully virtual after. Uh, I think that there are a lot of great opportunities that come from fully remote companies. It does require a different, I think, methodology or skill set in cultivating psych safety and cultivating safe spaces and forums to have conversations around diversity equity and belonging to really even understand like what is going on within your organization as a, as a people leader. And so what's your advice to companies that let's say are like starting virtually fully remote? Like how do you, cause you want to start this work early. What's your recommendation for where those types of companies can start and how they can cultivate safe spaces around these types of dialogues virtually? Well, I think it's to one, acknowledge that this is what you want to do. Like that is not something that necessarily means face-to-face. Just like every other goal in your business, if it's that we want these type of customers or we want to create this sort of revenue, out loud, we want a diverse team. We want an equitable, you know, business. We want culture of belonging. Like speak that out. That needs to be known to everyone. That should not be something that uh, the executive team kind of talks about to the side. I think sometimes they do because they don't want to be held accountable. That accountability is huge in it and it creates a level of trust, major for this. Like I think creating trust and accountability through honesty and transparency is really the only way to go. And that's gonna happen whether you're face-to-face with folks or you're all virtual, right? It's gonna happen that way. So, you know, I wouldn't say we discount certain things like, you know, making sure that what those things are thought about and how you're, you know, doing all hands, anytime you're able to bring the team together or you're able, you know, in your one-on-ones or team meetings or whatever else is going on, these things should be thought about and be talked about very openly and with intention. So without that, it becomes this kind of background thing that's happening that everyone kind of like, is this place trying to be diverse? Are we trying to do this? Or, you know, you hear something, there's some great article that comes out, everyone's like, oh, or something happens in the world. And how is the company going to, you know, address this? Because right. the thing, because no one's really spoken about it. But I think it still needs to be talked about in everything that you're doing, and know that it is your intention that even though we're virtually to create this type of culture and environment for your workforce it needs to be talked about. Yeah. And I think that ties back to everything else that you've shared is initiatives around diversity, equity, and belonging are not just, you know, fostering conversations where people are able to talk about, you know, their personal experiences. Like it goes so much 
beyond that. And I think the virtual setup that we have does not take away from your opportunity to build equitable programs, processes, systems, teams, that kind of thing. And so I think that's a great, great point. Yeah, I would also say too, if you're not talking about it before something happens or before, you know, if we go back to the to George Floyd, you know, I really think if you were never discussing it before, it feels disingenuous. So there's not a trust level with the employees that they can actually be true about their feelings because this was never discussed before. So you need to be talking about it very actively and talk about how you want to include it in order for you to build that trust so that employees can start to feel that they can, you know, give feedback. They can, and creating, obviously the other piece is, and this is what we're working on right now at Chime, which is how do you create avenues for people to give feedback and feel comfortable in doing so whether that's anonymously or not anonymously what how do you give them opportunities for that and we've been doing that by trying to find different platforms that allow for people to submit their feedback by doing our engagement surveys and a lot of other ways in which to say we want to hear from you about these things but that also means that when there's injustice going on in the world when there's things that folks are struggling with like the pandemic or you know, social justice or things like that, that the company is speaking on these things so that they know these are things that they, employees know that these are things that the leadership and the company overall care about and that they can share their thoughts and speak on it as well. Yeah. Tech is known to be so vocal on like, or tech companies are known to be so vocal on the things that they believe in, like our values, our core principles, our pillars, everything. So when you leave anything around diversity out of that, I think it's fair for employees to assume like this isn't a priority because we've almost set this precedent for if it's important to us, we're going to paint it on our walls. We're going to talk about it. We're going to hashtag it on, you know, every win. And so I think that that's a great point for companies that are, and you know, I'll, I'll ask uh, as one of my, I guess, second to last final question, we'll say. I do have one more at the end of this, but for companies that are looking to really attract others, part of this work is you want to attract people that you know feel very similarly about the investment in this work, right? So you want to showcase, like on this note, you want to showcase that it's a value of yours. How do you do this in a way that is not to your point, performative? Like how do you attract the right types of people that are also invested in this work, you know, if you are as a company without it feeling like, okay, I'm just going to put all this disingenuous content on my social pages and hope that that brings it, like hope that that solves the problem versus the other way around. Yeah, I think it's talk about it in the interview process. Again, these are not things that we do not, that tech, or most companies do not do in their interview process. The stuff that they care about, they ask you about, right? They ask, are you collaborative? Are you, uh, you know, there's a question about, oh, how would you handle this? If if an employee says this to you or your direct report says this to you, like all of these questions are to get to what the company cares about. Are this, is this person aligned with our values? Is this person going to operate in line with, you know, how we all think about, you know, our product or things like that? Ask about this. Ask about how people think about diversity, equity, and belonging. That should be a question because it's something you want to be included and in what you in what you're bringing on. You want more to be invested in this work, and especially when we're talking about leaders. We're talking leaders that are going to hire for their teams. When they're leaders that are going to develop their teams, 
this should be an important question in what you're asking, as opposed to just like, you know, oh, what would your head count be? Or, you know, what type of org structure would you be looking at? You know, if you're bringing in a VP or whatever, those are all usually questions that are asked of them. But how would they do that from a, a DEB perspective? Right. If you're going to put it on your website, if you're going to put it on your marketing materials, much like your values, if this is important to you, it's got to take a heavy percentage of the interview or, you know, a decent, like people need to be asking about this and understand how you think about it to make sure that, you know, you're aligned to that and that you're ready to make sure that that's a, a lens that you take as you start in that role. So my last question for you, this has been super, super helpful and really great conversation for other people and talent leaders that are building out their curriculum or building out their enablement or trying to find other partners that they can lean on as they drive some of these conversations or, you know, pull together programs where they're educating other employees and things like that. Are there other groups or resources or people that you partner with to support your enablement internally or you know, places that you can recommend other either HR professionals or, or leaders uh, that they can use when, you know, maybe they don't have an internal uh, DEB team right now to kind of lean on for that guidance and consultation? Yes, right now. So Chime just went through a third party assessment, which I would suggest folks who have the budget and ability to do definitely do that. Like I'm here, but also it's good to have somebody who's not in Chime have a look at what Chime is doing. And that is through a company called Ready Set, which has been a great partnership. I would I would definitely recommend them. I think it's going to be hard to get DEI consultants right now, but I think you should do the work around it. I also recommend, you know, networking with DEI leaders or, you know, creating other networking spaces to do that. It's very important for us to have an exchange of thought and how we're working through some of these challenges and, and so forth. And that, that means it's not just necessarily DEI leaders in every networking group that I'm a part of or whatever else, there is, you know, heads of HR in there, there's heads of talent or recruiting. There are also, you know, heads of L and D or enablement, you know, all of that. Like, I think that the people function is very clear that this is one facet and we all need to kind of be in that together. And many of us are tackling this challenge. So definitely, you know, pair up with, you know, many other leaders who are probably going through a lot of challenges themselves or who have also are wanting to talk through some of these challenges or might have gone through this phase that you've just gone through, you know, two months ago, three months ago, and can give you some insight on that. As far as nurse though, right now, Ready Set has been brilliant in really working with us on this. Yeah, that's a great recommendation. And to your point, I think there are more resources we all have internally at our own companies than we realize. And it's really just a, a question of tapping into that and having the discussions together. And so love that. Great. Well, Erica, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day that's to so hang fun. out with me and yeah, <laughs> share more about how you're thinking about DEB at Chime. It's just really wonderful to see companies take such an active and integrated role here. So I'm really excited to see everything that you all continue to work on and continue to learn more from everything that you all do. Thank you so much. And a wonderful podcast I've been following. I look forward to more sessions more episodes. It's really great. So thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more stories like this, please subscribe for the weekly drop and feel free to share around with your people and talent colleagues. I'd love your feedback. 
so please leave a review and let us know what you enjoyed and what types of topics you'd like to see covered in the future. The more reviews and subscribers we get, the more quality content we can consistently deliver to you. If you're interested in being on the podcast, feel free to reach out to me at russica at engageandempower.org. See you next week.